Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or would like to have again, but they also choose one thing from their life that they wish they could forget, something they'd like to bury in a time capsule and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the singer, actress, West End star, and quite a big noise, in all senses of the word, on Britain's Got Talent, Linda John-Pierre. Born in London in 1968, she was pregnant at the age of 15 and homeless a few years later. But her dreams of performing remained, and she worked her way up to become one of the most recognisable faces in the entertainment industry, performing in various musicals, including Sweet Soul Music, singing Aretha Franklin's greatest hits, not bad if you can do it, also starring as Sadie Fagin, Billie Holiday's mother in The Billie Holiday Story, and playing Mama Morton in the Broadway production of Chicago on the Royal Caribbean and Cruise Line, which she talks about in this episode. And then on TV and film, she's been in The Take with Idris Elba, Angel Has Fallen with Gerard Butler and Morgan Freeman, Greatest Days, the film of the Take That musical, the other musical film, Cinderella, and on TV she's been in Doctors, Alba's Not Normal, EastEnders, Silent Witness, and Beautiful People, to name but a few. But she's gone about her career in the most individual way, having appeared on X Factor, Stars in Their Eyes, as the legendary Chucka Khan, and most notably at the age of 53 on Britain's Got Talent, belting out Somebody Else's Guy by Jocelyn Brown. I met Linda through the children's theatre group, Viva, that this podcast sponsors, which we both support as much as we can. In fact, you join us as we talk about their annual awards ceremony, a joyous occasion of laughter and high-class entertainment from some very talented children. Anyway, that's where we begin. Let's see where we go. And I hope you enjoy our chat. It was a coincidence, wouldn't it? It was a, a nice coincidence to be invited 
by lovely Dan to go down there. Yeah, yeah, it was. He's an amazing lad, isn't he? He really is. It was just so overwhelming for me to meet everybody and experience everything, the award ceremony, which was so delightful. Wasn't it? And then, you know, literally two days later, he says, Linda, would you like to be vice president? <laughs> you go, yes, please. I'm like, of course I bloody would. Yeah. You know, it's it's fantastic to be asked. I feel completely honoured and it's just such a pleasure. I want to sort of implement a couple of things, you know, from I can sort of show them different ways of singing and all sorts of things. So Absolutely, yeah. Oh. And they are all dead keen to learn. That's the brilliant thing about it. They absolutely, yeah. they work so hard. And that's yeah. what's fantastic about a theatre group of children, I think, is, that, is yeah. that, that work ethic that you have to have to do theatre, to do plays and to make something work, learn all those lines, learn all those songs, the harmonies. Yeah. In order to do that, you've got to work hard. We know that. Yes, yeah, a lot of dedication and they, they sound as though and they look as though they have the best time. They do. Which is what I got from everyone who was receiving an award. And I really got that sense of community and family at Viva. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Because even one of the young ladies who actually had to go home, remember when she had to go home or something, she had to leave. Yeah. And she came back and I presented her with the award. Yeah. The first thing she said to me was, Oh my God. She went, she went, thank you so much. But she said, I absolutely love it here. And she said, I feel as though I'm in a safe space. Uh, and that says a lot. Doesn't it just, you know, and I went, wow, that's really, really vital working anywhere in the industry is to feel as though you're working within a safe space. And I think that's so important for her to say that at such a young age as well. Yeah. Everybody is just full of praise all the time. Oh my God. And it's just, of course, and it's going to just completely continue to elevate them, yeah. isn't it? And that's what youngsters need. They need that elevation of confidence to run with it. You know, whatever they go through, if they want to go down that road in terms of theatre or film or television, they've got that confidence from within. Yeah. And it started now. It starts or it started two years ago. Absolutely. I mean, you were very young when you fell in love with it. I mean, I think as most people are when they fall in love with the idea of being in theatre and acting. Yeah, I kind of fell into it, kind of. Um, I always sort of say to my dad, oh, why didn't you ever send me to a performing arts college? And he went, yeah, you're right, Lynn, you know, I should have done that. Mm. And that's my only, only ever regret. And that's not going to performing arts college, not even at a local theatre where we do Amdram. I didn't even get to do that because my parents didn't have a clue. No. They didn't have a clue where to start, who to speak to. They they just didn't know. And I came into it, probably I started singing when I was two. And my mum said I just started singing along to a Stevie Wonder number. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> Before I could actually speak properly. Wow. And, and um, you know, she said, that's how you started singing. We thought, oh, she's got a bit of a voice here. She sounds great. Mm. And then I got to 10 years old and my dad suggested that I go to a join a choir. And I was like 10 years old and I thought, yeah, Linda knows everything. She doesn't need to go to a choir. So I was like, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> and uh, he was like, okay. And he didn't push it. He was like, okay, no worries. And then we left it. And then it got to when I was about 16, I just said to my parents, I really want to start entering singing competitions just to see how I get on, you know, blah, blah. And they went, yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll take you. She, my mum was like, your dad will take you. It's fine. From the age of 16 to probably to 17, mm. I must have entered about maybe, I don't know, I don't think there was that many, probably about 10 singing yeah. competitions, and I won eight out of 10 of them. <laughs> and <laughs> and 
it was just so funny because, well, it wasn't funny at the time, but being the only black 16-year-old girl in a competition where mm. it's full of veterans who are experienced stand-up comedians, experienced artists, experienced magicians. And I came along, nobody knew who I was. And I just sang a couple of songs, gave my sheet music to the band. It was always like, you know, either Natural Woman or Pearl's a Singer or something like that. Oh, wow, yeah. And a 16-year-old singing those songs. Mm -hmm. And I'll just sing those two songs, blow the place away. And then they say, the winner is... And all the really experienced guys who were like in the literally at the time were in their forties and fifties. Mm. They were like, "Oh, it's Linda Jean Pierre," and then their faces were like thunder, you know, because <laughs> they were like, "We've been doing this a lot longer than you, and how come you're winning?" You know. Yeah. And I just pick up my trophy. In those days, you only won a little trophy, and then you or a little drink, and then you just go home. And my dad was always sat in the car outside waiting for me. He never came in. Uh. He. Never, ever came into the arena. He'd always sit in the car. And then once I'd won, I'd just come in the car, show him my trophy, and he was like, of course you won. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you think he was too nervous? No, he had this kind of, it was like that expectancy. He just knew that I would do well. Right, that he, yeah. didn't, that he felt as if he actually said, I don't, I, he goes, I don't, I don't feel as if I need to sit there and watch you sing, Lynn. He goes, we know how good you are at home, so mm. you just got to show everyone else. That was his attitude. Yeah. So every time I got in the car and I'm like, look, that I won. He was like, oh, of course you did, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the problem then, Linda, is that, you know, in those days, there wouldn't have been any outlet for that talent. None. Not at all. And it was only when I got to about, I think it was about 18 or something. That's when I discovered the stage or something like that. Or maybe in my 20s, I discovered the stage and I was looking in the stage mm. for more competitions and to sort of see what would fit my voice or what would fit my confidence. And as I was doing the competitions and things, my confidence was boosted each and every time because I was thinking I'm a little black East End lady and I'm 16 years old. I don't know anyone, don't know much. And then I'm trying to sort of boost my own confidence by showing people what I can do. Mm. And then it got to the stage where people were inviting me to sing at things for, for nothing. But you weren't being asked to audition for Les Mis, for example. No, 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 no. no. Whereas, no I, you should have been. That's what I mean. I, yeah, exactly. I should have been. But, you know, again, if my parents, I don't want to put the blame onto my parents, but my parents had an idea of talking to people and saying, where can we put her that she's excelling in this field? Because she just sounds, we think she sounds great but we don't know how we can nurture that. Yeah. And um, I just literally was just looking at the stage newspaper. Then I obviously started going to auditions, mm -hmm. but yeah, and that's how it started really. Yeah. But things have changed or are changing, you know, but it would have been difficult then. When was that? In the eighties. Yeah. I know. I don't look it, Mike. I look so no. much younger. No, <laughs> I, I nearly said the noughties. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's too kind, he's too kind. Um, but yes, it was tough. I really did learn the hard way. Mm. Really did learn the hard way. And I just think, oh God, if I'd have gone to performing arts school, I would have been able to sort of channel comedy or channel my cheekiness or channel crying and anger and all these emotions yeah. into certain genres. And I just didn't know how to build on those emotions in an acting hemisphere. You know, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And in my first job, my goodness me, I worked with a man called Keith Strachan. 
and he was the director of Sweet Soul Music and then All You Need Is Love in the West End in oh. 2000. I worked with him first. If it wasn't for him shouting at me, <laughs> which was brilliant, I'm not going to, you know, because it was him who gave me my very first professional theatrical job singing all the Aretha Franklin numbers in Sweet Soul Music. Wow. And it was a, we did a three-month tour and then we did another show called Blues Brothers Meet the Soul Sisters and we just did one-nighters. So we travelled for eight weeks oh doing one-nighters. Oh, my God, that's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you done one-nighters? I've done one-nighters in the sense that I've done it in a review show with other people where we go from venue to venue, yeah. I've done, right. I've done that, but not eight weeks. Yeah. I've done about three weeks, I think. You're exhausted by the end of it. Oh, my goodness me. We, it was a good job we actually all got on really well because we laughed more than we cried. Mm. You know, we we got on so well, and plus we loved the show. It was very easy. We had, all we had to do was just come out and sing these amazing songs from Stax Atlantic. You know, obviously, then it was Motown mm. and stuff. So it was great, but it was hard work living yeah. out of a suitcase and, and going from one venue to the other and going up to Scotland and going down and then going back <laughs> up again and oh, then going God. back down. Oh, yeah, it was hard. Eight <laughs> yeah, weeks. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we 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 done that. Madness. I never quite understand how stand-up comedians do it. I mean, some stand-up comedians doing it almost every night, but all over the country, they never stop travelling. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 It's a wonder. Maybe it's just the adrenaline, you know, and the buzz of being with a live audience. Yeah. You know, they, they're going to get a different audience every night like we do in theatre. Or maybe you it's because they only do 15 minutes. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. But how but, strange uh, that you should have gone from all those auditions as a young girl and then, after all that time, decided to have a go at Britain's Got Talent. Well. Hmm. <laughs> or, or shall I leave that, let that come up in our conversation? Um, no, we can talk about that. But okay. the thing is, we can go back if you want to, because I did um, The X Factor in 2006. Right. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, see, yes. And in those days, it was um, Sharon Osborne, obviously Simon, it was Louis, mm. and I think it was Cheryl Cole at the time. It was those four. Mm. And I was in Sharon's group, and it was there. I thought, oh, my God. And then what happened was I thought I was getting further and further into the competition. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then at the same time, I was auditioning for the national. Wow. For what show? It was Caroline or Change. And being, again, being so young, I was very early 20s or maybe mid-20s. Mm. I thought, oh, my God, this is my moment. I'm going to be famous going on The X Factor. Oh, my God, <laughs> this, is, this is it. And I was going through the stages of being auditioned for Caroline or Change. Every time I went to the audition, I learnt my stuff. I was off book. I knew all the songs. They were like, oh, my gosh, she actually knows everything. She's done her homework. Mm. And so I got further and further. It was a very tiny role. I think it was the, the play the washing machine or something. And it was to cover somebody else. Right. And um, it was a tiny role. And I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was the national. I had no idea. I had no idea about the national. Let me tell you. <laughs> I just I just thought it was like a off West End little theatre down the back street. <laughs> Little did Linda know, like <laughs> ten years. But the, but the funny thing was, is that when I spoke to Keith, because he was literally like my mentor, mm. and he he said, Linda, don't do X Factor. 
He goes, I don't care where you are in the X Factor. Get out of it now. You can do the X Factor next year, but this is the national. It's mm. Carolina change, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but Keith, is the X Factor. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting further and further in the competition, please. You know, he was, he, he was like my mentor come like my dad, you know, mm. in the theatrical in, in, you know, aspect. And I didn't take any notice of Keith. I didn't listen to him. And I dropped out of the nationals process. Right. They were fuming, obviously, understandably. They were livid. And mm. I just thought, oh, well, I've only just, you know, it was literally like, I don't know. I, I didn't know anything about the national. No, don't they understand? I'm on the X Factor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only when I got dropped in Sharon's group, mm-hmm. just before they chose those people to go to the judges' houses, I was like, oh, my God. I've literally turned down a really potential big job at the national mm. and I've been dropped from the X factor. Yeah. And that's when the penny dropped. And I was like, Linda, why didn't you listen to Keith? But I had to feel, you know, I had to experience these things. So yeah, my journey ended there. Yeah. Whereas Britain's Got Talent is a sort of a different thing, isn't it? Because it can be a showcase, even if you don't get to the final, even if you, I mean, you didn't get to the final and yet everybody remembers your audition. Yes. I think because ITV liked me, mm. I got on on the day of recording Britain's Got Talent. It was huge amounts of fun. They contacted me to be on the show. Right. And I said, no. I said, no, initially, to be honest. I said, no, I don't believe that you're from Britain's Got Talent. So leave me alone. And they contacted <laughs> me on, on Instagram. And I, and I was like, no, 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 no. Because I get so many messages from very um, interesting people. <laughs> and... <laughs> on Instagram. So most of the time I'm like, delete, delete, delete. Anyway, they were like, no, Linda, please look, we're going to send you an email to show you that we're really from ITV. And I was like, yeah, go on then. Yeah, whatever. Mm. And then they did actually email me and said, we'd love you to come on. So I said, well, I'll tell you something now. I'm not going to go through the producers. I said, I'm not going to go down that road because you, when you, when you're, when you're green or when you're whatever, you don't know anything about television. No. There's processes that you go through producer, then a producer, another producer, then another producer, then another producer. Mm -hmm. And then that final producer says, yeah, let's put it in front of the judges. And that's like four auditions already. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going through any producers. So I might as well not do it. They went, no, 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 no. We're going to bypass you, fast track you straight onto the show. Right. So I went, oh, okay, I'll do it, mm-hmm. you know. And then the day was fantastic. I got to meet Anton Deck, who are my heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Only because they're the same size as you. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we got on so well. <laughs> We're the same height. We can see each other. You know, I got to meet them. And the day was, for me, the day was fantastic. I Mm. loved the day. I laughed all day. I was on my own. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that I was doing Britain's Got Talent, apart from Stacey, who was my director at the time at Mamma Mia, the party. I told her what I was doing because there was a a possibility that I could have been lucky to get to the venue to do the show that day. But obviously we need to be in the venue by a certain time. As you know, in theatre, you've got to be in the theatre for a certain time so that everyone is there to do parish notices, blah, 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 all those sorts of things. Mm. So I was on the phone to Stacey probably every hour saying, right, okay, I'm just, you know. But they interviewed me all day and they got me to interview 
other contestants. Right. Which was very, very interesting. They were taking pictures. I was talking to this person, that person. It was literally like a hub of activity for Linda. Mm. So I believe when they like you or you've got a likable personality or something about you that's likable, then I feel that they will show you on TV. Well, of course, they're making a television program. Yeah, it's for for the viewers. It's for it's to attract as many viewers as possible. Mm-hmm. If they like you, then in fact they assume that the audience will like you as well. The viewers will like you, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, which was which was really lovely. I was so grateful to be there that day because I just laughed all day. You know, it wasn't like I because I I just had the I had the attitude of. I'm here for a reason. I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah, and also, you know you can do it. That's always a big advantage. If somebody's going in there thinking, well, I've never done this before. I've never stood in front of a big audience. I've never sung a song. I don't know how this is going to go. Am I good enough? Whereas you know you can do it. You know you have the voice. And so you can breeze out there, really, and go, well, I'm going to win here. This is great. They're going to love me. Well, kind of. I will agree to a degree. Uh, Yeah, to a degree, but... I wouldn't actually say necessarily say that I was going to go out there to win it no. because a you know I'm of a certain age and it's like how many fans could I possibly get at 55 <laughs> you know <laughs> and also it's the sellable aspect you know if I if I were to win it will my singles or my records sell and then also when Simon asked me the question what's your goal what was what would you love to do after doing Britain's Got Talent I said I'd love to sing on the soundtrack of a film. Mm. And he went, really? So I said, yeah, but they cut all that out, you see. Uh, you know, they put like the little the little bits in there. And I said, oh, I'm from Liverpool. And he was like, why are you living in Liverpool? Because I said, I love Liverpool. <laughs> no, it's as simple as that. And I was like bigging up Liverpool and Liverpool people and stuff. But yeah, you know, it is a process that mm. people go through. So I had no intention of thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to win because I knew I wouldn't win because it's a practical thing. No, I mean more winning in the sense of that you could win in front of that audience. You could get that audience on your side. Well, I did. I was very fortunate and very blessed, in fact, to have the audience on my side because the thing is when an audience don't like it, they'll make it known, as you know. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I sort of came out and it was very overwhelming to see 2,000 people sitting there watching you Mm. and you want them to like you. Yeah. That was the most important thing. I didn't really care what I sounded like, but I did do the song. They just all stood up and were dancing anyway. <laughs> when the, by the time the song finished, it was, you know, the, the judges actually stood up and gave me four yeses and whatever. Brilliant. So I was I was over the moon with that. It was It is a very overwhelming experience. Yeah. And it was great. I just had a fantastic day. Mm. So the next thing was, is obviously when they phone you about four weeks later saying, oh, no, you didn't get through. So I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, sorry. So for whatever reason, but, you know, the main thing is, even though I didn't get through to the live semis or whatever, A, I had a fantastic day. And also the next phase, really, the the true test really is if they show your audition on television, on national TV. So that's why I say if they like you, you'll be seen. And that's lovely. That's a big audience, isn't it? It's amazing. Mm. You know, it's amazing. And to see people's reactions and, you know, hear their reactions. When I said Liverpool, people were like, yeah, and I'm not <laughs> from Liverpool. You know, as much as I like living here, sometimes it can be a little bit challenging when they don't hear another, a fellow Liverpoolian accent from my mouth. Right. Because they can hear that I speak well. And they're like, oh, you know, she's not from around here. Right. So sometimes that, sometimes that goes against me, believe it or not. 
So anyway, that's another story. But generally, Liverpudlians are very welcoming and very nice in general. Do you know what I mean? And funny. Funny people. Well, I tell you what, funny is the wrong word. I think they're hilarious <laughs> because they are very quick-witted. They've got the gift of the gab, let me tell you. Mm. And I, most of the time when I, when I travel to London to go and see my parents and I come back to Liverpool, I get a taxi home. I could get a bus, but I can't be bothered. So I get a taxi home. And most of the time I get into the taxi and they're like, oh, where have you been, love? Come back from London and all this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, just come back from London. You know, where are you going? So I've obviously I've got to tell them. And then they're just chatting away. And half the time I'm in fits of laughter <laughs> because the more you laugh, the more they're funny, you know, yeah. with their like quips and stuff. But no, it's it's great. Lovely. Well, okay. We're going to have to talk about the five things you've chosen to put into a oh time Oh my goodness capsule. me, of course. Of That's course. what we're supposed to do. <laughs> but I could chat to you all day about all sorts of things, but hopefully we will. Here we go. Yes. So what have you chosen to put in there? Right. So the first one is one of two things. Mm -hmm. The first one is my number one single back in 2000 called Night People. Right. And this came about quite accidentally because I was actually working with a, a sound engineer called Pete Booker in Essex. And he was just hilarious. <laughs> so incredibly awkward. But he knew it and he was very proud of it. And um, so he said to me one day, a Spanish record producer has actually got in touch with me and they don't want a Spanish singer to sing this song because Spanish people lisp when they talk and when they sing. Right. Yeah, of course. Because it's just a natural thing for them to do, even if, mm -hmm. even if they don't have a natural lisp. So he said he wants a singer who can sing this song but don't lisp. So I said, <laughs> OK. <laughs> and then he sent the track over. I learned the track within a week. The second week, Louis came over to the studio in Essex. We recorded it in the second week. We finished recording it on the Thursday. Louis went, took the track and took it back to Spain on the Friday. It was released by the Monday and it went straight to number one by the Tuesday. In Spain? In Spain. Oh, yeah. Party people. Fantastic. Yes, it was for party people, obviously, because it was like a funky house dance track or something. And um, it went straight to number one. Now, because they didn't realise that it was going to go straight to number one, they went, Linda, you've got to come to Spain to record the music video. <laughs> so I was like, what? So at the time I was working as an admin office, no, a reception coordinator for a drug, alcohol and substance misuse and domestic violence unit. Right. In East London, in Stratford. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was there for like five years. So in between this time, I was just going off and doing bits of singing here, bits of singing there. And I had to go back to my boss and say, listen, I've got to go to Spain to record a music video. She was like, what? Because <laughs> we didn't even know you could sing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then they say to you, I want a very good reason for this. You say, well, I'm number one. They go, okay, yes. off you go. <laughs> it was literally like this. Yeah. So I had to go back and I went to Barcelona. We recorded the music video within four days. I was there for four days. And then it went straight to number one. It was number one probably for about two weeks. And wow. then it went to number one other European countries. And then because it was so successful, Louis decided to write another track called Number One. And it went straight in at number 10. <laughs> <laughs> You should have written number 10. It might have gone to number one. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did it's, you go out there and perform it as well? No, because...
because we, I just didn't have time. I only had four oh. days to do the recording and the promotional stuff. So they tried to cram in as many radio interviews as possible, mm. but they just needed, because I had to go back to England to go back to work, they just used the music video as promotion, <laughs> like everyone on MTV and everything. What a strange thing to be walking the streets or off to work in the morning thinking, I'm number one in Spain. Yeah, it's I know. Weird. It was quite bizarre, quite bizarre. So, no, it was lots of fun. And Louis was amazing. So, yeah, it was good fun. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm going to Google that and have a listen. Night People. Night People, yeah. Louis, he's a producer, writer, so it's Louis Villa Mm. featuring The Cat and Mr Cool featuring Linda Jean-Pierre. Wonderful. I know. Lovely. Let's put Night People in. Yeah. That's your first thing. That goes into the time capsule. So we've got four other things. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, it's at break time, so we'll be back after these messages. Don't go flipping. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back. I was going to say you're flipping lovely, but you haven't been flipping, which is good news. So let's get back to the podcast and listen to the rest of the things that Linda Jean-Pierre would like to have in her time capsule. Before we go on, what made you fall in love with performing then, apart from the fact that you could sing? Is there anything that you actually remember thinking, I want to do that? Well... When my sister and I were about eight or nine, Hmm. my mother and father took us to see our very first ever, ever, ever theatrical performance, which was called Ipitombi, which was a South African-based musical theatre production. I went to see it myself in the 1970s, yeah. Well, I was probably at the theatre at the same time as you, Michael. (laughs) Probably, but but as an eight-year-old. And when I watched it, we were actually sat in the gods, and I literally, as soon as we sat in the front in the maybe upper dress circle or something. And I was I was so small, I could only barely see between the railings. But I sat there, as soon as the show started, my mouth was wide open and I went, I need to be on that stage. Uh, it was that show where like, the music, the feel, the vibe, the singing, the, oh, 
It was absolutely everything. I was just talking about the show for like the next two weeks. Yeah, I bet. It was absolutely phenomenal. And that was the moment when I went to go see that show and I said, Mum, I need to be on that stage. And particularly for a young black girl. Yes. There's a stage full of black people. Yes. Which you never saw. No. I mean, there was five guys named Mo just afterwards, I think. Yeah. But as far as the West End was concerned, that was quite an extraordinary thing. Yeah, absolutely. For, and the funny thing was is that I don't even think my parents were even thinking about it. No. When they took us to see the show, they just thought, oh, we're going to see this. And my mum and my mum particularly always took me, myself and my sister to go and see the Panto at Stratford Theatre East after that because she saw how much we enjoyed going to the theater yeah, yeah and then after that she was like oh let's just go to, to, to see the local panto and it was every year we'd go funny enough i've never done panto at Stratford theater anyway <laughs> but it was that moment and i was just like wow i've got to do that i've mm. got to be on that stage yeah that was the moment i remember seeing it as a 17 year old oh wow i was just about to go to university and i was yeah. thinking the same as you, I was thinking, I'd love to become an actor, but I had no idea how to do it. I went to study law instead. Did you? Yeah. And while I was there, opportunities occurred, which was really great. But I particularly remember seeing Ify Tombi because I absolutely loved it. Obviously, at the time, I was only eight years old, so I didn't mm. actually re- recognise, you know, or realise the demographic there, like, culturally. Mm. Um because all I was focusing on was the noise, yeah. you know, the beautiful noise that was coming from the stage and from people's mouths and even like the drums, uh, you know, going, oh, and for you to actually be there as well. We are probably there on the same night, Mike. <laughs> Wouldn't that know? be amazing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? But it just completely, you know, swallowed me in and I was yeah. just like, that's it, I've, I've got to do it. And same thing that happened to you, you know, you were like, I've got to, I've got to mm-hmm. be able to do this as well. It's amazing. Yeah. Did you know that that production was produced by Ray Cooney? Do you know who did all the farces? No, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Really? I've got a programme somewhere, and the producer was Ray Cooney, who did all the Ray Cooney farces. So what an extraordinary thing for him to do. How interesting. But then saying (laughs) that, that it it actually opened in Johannesburg, where obviously it was born, Mm. and then it went to Broadway then it actually closed in London. But slightly controversially, I remember, Mm. because it was from South Africa. At the time, there was a lot of fuss about apartheid and all that, Mm, obviously. And so they were saying that they felt that actually it was a white South African show using black actors. Interesting. I suppose at 17, I would have been aware of that. At eight, you wouldn't have done. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. But I loved it all the same. Yeah, it was a fantastic show. They were brilliant performers. Yeah, Maybe, though, that's the start of people becoming aware that because it was so outstanding and so different, mm. in my lifetime, so that's from then when I was 17 to now, mm. there's been a fantastic change in the way that casting happens, but still not so much in theatre, I don't think. This is where it continuously falls down, which is a shame because theatre's great when it's cast perfectly because the, the story not only gets told, but people are living that experience through the actor. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when it falls down slightly or, or becomes disjointed, that's where you can see the cracks and you just think, why are there cracks? Why are the mm-hmm. cracks still there? And I'm so passionate about this because I know things are changing, but things are taking their time to change. And that's why we still feel as though change isn't happening as quickly as we'd like it to happen. Mm talking to several actors, black and mixed race actors, different cultures um, of actors um, about how they're treated within a theatrical environment Mm -hmm. is shocking. Ah, yes. 
is absolutely shocking. Mm. I think the only area where blind casting is alive and kicking Mm -hmm. is at the RSC and at the Globe. Yeah. They make it a point of blind casting. And I absolutely love them for that. Mm. It goes without saying 100% the RSC, the Globe, maybe the National as well. The Young Vic is very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Young Vic is superb and the Old Vic. You know, I've experienced lots of racism, even in the panto I've just finished. I experienced horrific racism, and that made me decide never to do theatre again. Wow. Oh, that's really sad, Linda. Hopefully. I I might change my mind next year, but at this present time, I can't see myself in theatre for the foreseeable future. It's taken a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. You know, I mean, we, we've been talking about it. Everybody's been talking about it. Actors, for example, always talk about it because when you're in a company, you're in a company and mm. the people in it, it doesn't matter anything about where they're from, what their racial background is, their class, their upbringing. If they can do the job, you're a company. You're a team, you're a company, you're an ensemble. Mm. You know, I remember when I did, um, well, that's one of the things I want to talk about. All right, well, let's do it. Let's do that. Let's move on to that because we should talk about the second thing. Well, actually, the second thing has has got to do with um, the RSC. And when I did work for the RSC in A Mad World, My Masters, Mm. my poster was all over Stratford-upon-Avon. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. To the point where just before the show finished, we actually did a tour, a very short tour of A Mad World, My Masters. And then we finished at the Barbican for two weeks. And it was just Mm -hmm. the most magical experience ever. And I said to them, I'm going to be really cheeky. Can I possibly have one of those posters that's actually in the street, hanging (laughs) in the street? And they went, what? So I said, (laughs) yes. And they, they actually gave me the poster. That was actually uh, hanging in the street. What, the huge ones? The huge one! <laughs> yeah, they gave me the huge one. Brilliant. When was that? When did you do that? I think it might have been about 2014, 15 or something. You do forget dates, don't you? Right? You just go, it was a couple of years ago. Then people say, actually, it was 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, yeah, it was It was some time ago. And, yeah, we had. I had a really great time. So that's one of the things I would always put that, in the time caps and keep them. Mm. Yes, it's a lovely organisation, I think, and they make a great effort to the point where now it's not an effort. Mm, yeah. Everybody says that it's hard work to do these things, but actually once you've done it, it's not. It just yeah. happens naturally. Yeah. Well, I, in the context of me working with them, I was employed as a jazz singer in a production in a jazz club. So the RSC actually paid for all of us to go to Ronnie Scott's in London. <laughs> to, to experience being in a jazz club. It was just amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. So, you know, to actually feel that authenticity and method kind of way. But luckily for me, all I had to do was sing songs. I didn't have any text and I was only involved in the one production, whereas the other, all the other cast members, they were involved in the season. Yeah. It was amazing. So, yeah, it's definitely my Mad World, my Masters 2015. Lovely. Mm. So having done that, you should now target the globe you should say i want to come and work at the globe (laughs) once you come back to theater which i'm sure you will at some point year off and then you know revisit it okay lovely but in the meantime you've got that poster in the time capsule to remind you to draw you back i think i'll have that poster buried with me when i go (laughs) it's it's so lovely (laughs) okay let's have a look at number three see what you've got for your third thing 
Right. The third thing is my contract for Chicago, the musical, Ah. which was truly life-changing because I got that job as Mama Morton when I turned 40. And they say life begins at 40. (laughs) My first contract was nine months, almost a year. And that truly changed my life. Yeah. That truly changed my life in a sense. That was the first time I ever moved away from home. First time I ever moved away from my friends and family. And the first time I ever had to look after myself on my own. Mm. And it was traumatic. And I'd only just not long got married about six months before. But when I was actually on the ship working, I realized I didn't love my husband. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, there were so many, and I didn't meet anyone. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to put that out there first and foremost. I did not meet anyone. There was nobody else involved. And I was like, oh my God. I'm absolutely, absolutely living my best life here. And I don't need a husband. <laughs> do I really love my husband? I don't think I do. And then obviously he came to see me a couple of times, but it was, it was life-changing because I became more confident in myself. I knew who I was. It was that personal development. I was, I, I learned about gratitude on the ship, about being really grateful for where I was and not taking anything for granted doing three shows a, a week, Michael, hmm. for only 90 minutes a time. <laughs> and then I had the rest of the time free to do whatever. Oh, what a life. To, yeah, I, It really was for nine months. But time to think as well. And to in those yeah. situations, that change in your lifestyle. It's interesting that you talk about confidence because quite mm. often the reason that people get with someone who they don't really love is because they think, well, I probably won't get anyone else. Yeah, probably. You don't have the confidence in yourself to think that the right person will come along. Yeah. Also, possibly that you you oughtn't to be on your own. Maybe. Maybe all of those things. Mm. Um, one thing's for sure, I realised that I wasn't as confident as I thought I was. Right. The second thing was, is that I realised that I can do life on my own and still be happy without a partner. Mm-hmm. Even though I did actually love my husband. I loved him as a friend. I loved him as a best friend, Mm. but I wasn't in love with him. And I looked after myself. I looked after my well-being. And I made so many friends on the ship who I'm still friends with today. And I came into my own, you know, leading up to the 40th year of my life. I was always looking after somebody, my daughter. I was always looking after my, my parents, my family. I was always doing stuff for other people and not for myself. Mm. And it was only until I got on the ship. I tell you what, when I got to the airport to go, I was crying like a baby. Everyone <laughs> thought that I'd been mugged or something. You know, <laughs> everyone thought, why is she crying so much? Oh, my God, what's happened? Oh, my God, are you okay? And I was like, oh, I'm leaving my family. I can't say <laughs> I'm going on a cruise for nine months <laughs> in the Caribbean. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and... When I got there, and obviously I was like, my first phone bill to my husband when I got there was over a thousand pounds because I was on the phone to him all the time. And then it must have been after the first week, I was like, put the phone down, it's costing you a fortune. Mm. And only contact when you absolutely need to. But I really did come into my own in Mm. being on the ship for nine months. And that's when I realized a lot of things, and that was including not being with him. And it it was only when I did the second contract. I was like, yeah, I need to be on my own. I came back and things just weren't right. And obviously you're in a bubble for a certain amount of time. Mm. So you live a certain way. I lived like a 
celebrity, if you like, mm. on the ship because I was playing mum on Morton. Is like, and then plus, even though I just mentioned about having so much time on my hands, I'd do other jobs that would actually earn extra money. So I'd join the babysitting service. So I'd knock on the door to go and <laughs> look after someone's child. There was one time this guy opened the door and he went, honey, oh my God, Mama Morton's going to look after the kid. <laughs> <laughs> you say it's all right. Yeah, I'm just going to lock him in prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I did lots of other jobs as well personal skills you know just to talk to other people and interact and i felt as if i didn't do that before with people right i was always always only talking within my circle to people Mm. you know and that was enough for me and it was incredible so that really changed my life and only three times a week you're going to love that show every time you do it aren't you oh my god it was great fun and then yeah it was literally like living like a guest we had guest status we had our own cabin we had our room cleaned once a week it was just incredible I auditioned for Chicago a long time ago. What, for the West End? Yeah, quite early okay. on in, in its run, following Henry Goodman, who was the first person to play it. So Really? I didn't get it. Oh! But I would love oh, to wow. have sung Both Reach for the Gun. Yeah. Oh, my God, that is just, yeah, that's incredible. I love that. What a great love, song. Love, love, love. And as far One as I know, parts. maybe you'll be able to tell me if this is right or not. Uh, as far as I know, everybody who played that part would compete to see who could hold the note the longest at the end. I have heard that, actually. And I've heard from various sources that the person who held it the longest and holds the record was Marty Pello, who used to sing in Wet, Wet, Wet. No way! Mm. Yeah. Oh, my God! So, yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. I didn't realise it was him. That's amazing. Amazing, isn't it? And there was is a time it? when I could have had a go at that record, but not anymore, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, happy days. How lovely. Happy days. Happy yes. days. Okay, that's three things we put in there. What else have we got? We've got one more that you want to keep and one that you'd like to put in there and forget. Okay, really quickly, mm. I would actually say the keys to my first home, I'd love to keep that in the time capsule because I'm here. It's my safe haven. It's my sanctuary. I love it mm. in Liverpool. This is my very first home, as well as... My first book. Yes, still laughing. <laughs> yeah. So those two things, I know it's like six things or whatever, but those two things I definitely like to keep in that time capsule because it's the first of two major things. I love the fact that you call it your first book as well. You're writing more, are you? Yes, I'm right. I'm actually in the middle of writing my second book about the industry. Brilliant. The second book is going to be a bit more in-depth about the industry, and I'm actually in the middle of researching, talking to many actors of colour. Right. About their current experiences of working in theatre. Good. So we've touched on that. That's good. Yeah. So the house, when did you move into the house? Uh, Just before lockdown in 2020. Right. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? You move in on your own. Had you lived in Liverpool before then? No. I'd Um, only come here to do one of the shows. We actually stayed in Liverpool for a week. mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I absolutely love Liverpool. And it was (laughs) chucking it down with rain. Didn't have a coat. And I was like, oh, my God where's the nearest Primark? And the woman was like, go down the road. It's on the left-hand side. It's still open. (laughs) (laughs) Get in there, girl. I love the fact that you regard that city as the people. I can't put into words how much I love Liverpool. I feel as though I've been born here, but I just don't have the accent. (laughs) And the thing is, from my perspective, and it's not in a big-headed way, when I recorded Doctors, and I'm sure you've done Doctors as well, mm. many a time, 
Um, and it was great to work with Niall Fraser, the director. The producers actually thought I was Liverpudlian because I had to do the character in Liverpudlian as a play a Liverpudlian woman who's doing life for murdering her husband. Wow. Yeah. And they thought I was actually Liverpudlian. Good accent to master. Yes, it is actually. And it's, it helps obviously by living here because the amount of like sayings that I hear and, you know, different things, the way people speak and stuff like that, I think is always entertaining, even when they're having an argument, you know, like, yeah. hey, you, come on outside here, girl, out now, and all this, you know, and they're shouting and everything, and I'm like, <laughs> go on, two, one. But it's great. I love the Liverpudlian accent. As I said, it helps for me living here, mm. and I hear it all the time. So, and then when obviously when I sort of take the mickey out of them a little bit, they find it hilarious. And they're like, oh, that's not bad, you know. That's really good. So I'm like, yeah, of course it is. Fantastic. I'll put them both in as one thing, the book and the keys to your house, your first house. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So all we've got is the thing you want to put in there that you'd like to forget. Um, I don't think it's something that can be sort of like put in there, but if I could sort of like wrap it up and put it in there, it would be my OCD. Right. Do you still suffer from that? Mm. Oh. Yeah, but as in, it's I wouldn't class it as being extreme, but I do like to have a tidy place, like a tidy environment, because a clear house is a clear mind, is my philosophy. Mm-hmm. And um, I've only kind of like been like this since since when we had lockdown, when I had to keep washing my hands ah. and staying clean. So again, I'm not excessively OCD, but I do have OCD. I like to be organised. I like to, you know, be on time. I like to be early for when I'm ever going out anywhere. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm an hour early, I'm there. Um, I like to be really organised. So if that was one thing I could wrap up and just put it in there, I'll, that would be the thing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people listen to that and go, well, I wish I were like that. But mm-hmm. it's not that, is it? It's, no. It's that you can't let it go. No, you can't. It's even having things in certain places. Mm-hmm. And I know that sometimes they say Virgoans, like people who are Virgos, they're almost like that. They like to have certain things in certain places. Right. And you can't move it. But as long as my environment is clean and tidy. Mm. I don't think it stems from childhood because my mum's very clean. My mum's always been very clean and tidy. I've always lived in a clean and tidy house. But I think it's from lockdown. Ever since it was that whole, everyone had to keep their themselves clean and tidy take their clothes off as soon as they get into the house put it in the wash all this all this you know covid 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 Mm. and it just put the sense of fear into me anyway about just keeping my hands clean wash even when i come in now from going to the shops i just go straight to the bathroom or straight to the kitchen and wash my hands i'm like right okay my hands are clean i can do whatever now Mm. that's interesting this morning when i wash my hands i was thinking about the amount of times we had to wash our hands in that yes. period. It was weird, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. But unfortunately for me... You've not lost it. It's kind of stuck a little bit. And plus my dad, when I was staying with him, when I was doing mummy at the party, he would be like, have you washed your hands? <laughs> he goes, Lenny, have you washed your hands? And then even when I was going out, have you washed your hands before you've gone out? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a constant, have you washed your hands? Have you washed your hands? Mm. So I was just like, oh my God. And he was like, where's your gloves? Where's your mask? But yeah, it's actually still sort of stayed with me. So people could come in here and just eat their dinner off the floor. Not that I'd let that happen, you know. (laughs) I would give them a plate. (laughs) 
Oh, Linda. So those are the things we've put in the time capsule. Yes. It's been really lovely to talk to you about them and all the other things as well. Oh, bless you. Thank you so, so, so much, Mike. <laughs> and hopefully we'll see each other again soon. We will. We will be in Soham together again, I'm sure, soon. Yes, definitely. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Linda John-Pierre. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and it happens to be the first one you've come across, then please do subscribe for all new episodes as they're released. Isn't that a lovely gift? There are over 300 episodes to choose from, which are all available on the podcast provider of your choice. And of course, while you're doing that, you can also click on five stars to sort of boost our rating. It really helps this podcast, I promise. And of course, you might even write a review. Who knows? You can follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where we try to keep you informed and entertained and are available, of course, to answer any questions or listen to any suggestions for future guests. Well, we don't actually listen to them, obviously. We read them and then we reply, saying, thank you very much, we'll do our best. Anyway, while I'm chattering away, the theme tune to this music is playing in the background. It was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available for your delectation on Spotify anytime you choose. Don't forget, you can listen to this podcast without adverts if you subscribe to Acast Plus and you also get an extra bonus episode, My Time Capsule, The Debrief which ACAST Plus listeners seem to enjoy. No idea why. It's just me and John chatting. Anyway, do subscribe if you feel you can contribute a little bit to keep this podcast going. Thank you. This was a cast-off production for ACAST, produced by the brilliant John Fenton Stevens, right? I am off to practice my scales. Who knows, one day I may be able to sing as well as Linda. Oh, if only. I mean, the last time I auditioned for a musical, the pianist said... What key would you like that in, Mike? I said, I'll have it in the key of B-flat, please. And he said to me, well, I'll give it to you in the key of B. You can flatten it yourself, you usually do. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 